the social media age and the internet and everything that you see. So you look at Instagram, you look at Twitter, you look at Facebook, right? you look at the news, watch TV, just all this stuff. We're always kind of glorifying and just seeing, we're always watching people's highlight reels, right? Most people are not putting the worst parts of their day on Facebook or Twitter. Maybe you do, I don't know. But most people don't. And certainly not most of the people that I follow and that I see and that make posts. They're usually putting the best parts, the cutest parts, you know, the funniest ones, you know, just all that stuff. So we're always watching everybody's highlight reel. And sometimes what we can do is you can watch, we can watch, I can watch everybody's highlight reel. We can compare that with our behind the scenes. And so it's this very unrealistic, unhealthy thing that can develop where we're constantly comparing what we are like behind the scenes with everybody else's highlight reel. And it very subtly can work its way in there, and we can see that, and it's like, they could bring us to like, some not good places. And so sometimes when we think of King David, we think of David and Goliath, we think of King David, we think of all the prosperity, we think of a man after God's own heart. And that's kind of his highlight reel, but the reality is, is that there are a lot of things that God was not punishing David for, but preparing him so he could have that highlight reel. And we, I enjoy, I hope you enjoy, seems like you guys have been enjoying, being able to study kind of the progression of what God is allowing and bringing into David's life so he can be molded and shaped so he can handle what God wants to give him later. Did you hear that I said what God wants to give him later? Yeah, God wants to like entrust him and give him something significant later. But David was not ready for a long time, 15, 20 years. God had to do a work in him to make him able to receive what God had already intended and wanted to do. And so the last time we met, there was a tragedy. So Las Vegas shooting was not too long ago, right? Not right, horrific, wrong in all the wrong ways. And we talked about how a couple weeks ago, how evil still, we can see it very clearly at times. Times like that. Times like Sandy Hook, right? Times like 9-11. Look throughout the globe right now, not even just in America. It's throughout the whole globe. And so we can see that there's just this dynamic of evil, right? Then there's this dynamic of good and God's people, you know, trying to, how do we do this? But how do we come together? How can we just, what can we do? And we talked about that last week. And the reason why we talked about it is because an entire town got killed because of David and his lying. That's heavy to deal with. whole town got killed. They didn't do anything wrong. Do anything wrong. They didn't know any of the situation. They didn't know any of the details. But basically, King Saul was on just a murderous hunt, and he continues to be. And so he says, you know what, as long as David was here and you guys didn't tell me about it, I'm killing everyone. And it's like there's no room for reasoning or hearing or talking or anything. He just takes them all out. That's just, that's horrific. That's horrible, right? That hurts my heart. I hope that hurts your heart. It's just injustice and oppression like to a very high degree. Completely taking advantage of the position that God put him in for all the wrong reasons. And so we talked a lot about that stuff because that's a whole can of worms. So if you missed any of that, listen a couple of weeks ago to catch up. Now we pick up where David is on the run and he's fleeing. He's just going from place to place because he's a man that's being hunted. And he's going from cave to wilderness to desert to cave. 
He's not going from Hilton to Marriott, you know, to... He's going from just like Nogtuck State Forest, you know, to like Beacon Falls State Forest. You know, he's like hiding everywhere. He's in the river, you know. He's just, there's no place good to go because he's a man being hunted. But that's how God is preparing him, right? That's how God is preparing him. So now we pick up in 1 Samuel 23. It says, when David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are looting the threshing floors, he inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? So David is in hiding. Everybody say in hiding. Hiding because King Saul wants to attack him and kill him, right? King David had brought to him 400 of his dream team. The Bible says that everybody that was in debt, everybody that was discouraged, and everybody that was distressed, the layman's term for that is loser. God brought 400, quote-unquote, I'm not trying to be mean, it's just kind of what it is, quote-unquote losers at life. They wasted all their money, they made bad decisions, they were bitter about life, they felt like there was no hope, So they're going to go join a guy in a cave who's being hunted by the king of the entire nation. So he's with this dream team and with not, certainly not the hand-picked, well-educated, most well-known. So they're hiding. They're trying to figure out what is going on here. And as they're hiding, they hear about a certain tribe, Judah. That's where David is from, called the tribe of Judah, which you may have heard of before. Hopefully I've heard of. If not, there you go. From the tribe of Judah, that's the tribe that David is from. There's all these different tribes, and David's from the tribe of Judah. And he says, hey, he hears, hey, your tribe, the border of your tribe that borders the Philistines, who they're always waging war with, and they're a considerable opponent. Like, opponent, like they, were, they were significant. He said, hey, a whole bunch of them are getting into the territory that you're from, on that border, and, and they're, what they're doing is it's harvest, it's like fall time, so they're going in there and they're taking all their harvest. So they're taking all their wheat, they're taking all their vegetables, and they're taking um, all their cattle, they're taking everything. And these guys can't defend themselves. So that's what David hears. All right, so let's see what happens. So what does David do? It says, he inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? The Lord answered him, Go attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Here in Judah, we're afraid. Everybody say afraid. Afraid. You can kind of understand why. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the Philistine forces? Say, hey, listen, we're already afraid of what's happening here. Like, so you're saying, David, that we're hiding from King Saul so he doesn't find us. And now you're saying that you think it's a good idea for us to go fight an army that's significant. There's only a certain number of us. And then once we do that, guess what? We're not in hiding anymore. So theoretically, this could lead to two people, two groups of people after us. They're not exactly a big fan of this plan. You can understand you could hear them saying, how could this be God's will? It doesn't make any sense. This is stupid. 
<clears throat> verse 4. So what does David do? Once again, David inquired of the Lord, right, number 2. And the Lord answered him, Go town to Keilah, for I'm going to give the Philistines into your hand. Just the answer I'm sure his men wanted to hear. Verse 5, so David's men went to Keilah, fought the Philistines and carried off their livestock. He inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Keilah. And it says there, Now Abiathar, son of Ahimelech, had brought the ephod down with him when he fled to David at Keilah. I'll get back to that in a minute. Verse 7, Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah and he said, right, so Saul finds out, God has, here's what Saul says, God has handed him over to me for David has imprisoned himself by entering a town with gates and bars. And Saul called up all his forces for battle to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. Verse 9, when David learned that Saul was plotting against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod. David said, O Lord, God of Israel, your servant has heard definitely that Saul plans to come out to Keilah and destroy the town on account of me. Will the citizens of Keilah surrender me to him? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, God of Israel, tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will. Verse 12, again David asked, Will the citizens of Keilah surrender me and my men to Saul? And the Lord said, they will. So David and his men, about 600, right, they grew, right, they got a couple hundred, about 600 in number, left Keilah and kept moving from place to place. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he did not go there. Interesting situation, right? So they're in hiding. David says, you know what, we should go rescue him. Lord says, okay, go do it. Man says, nah, we're not cool with this. I don't think so. Goes back to God and he says, well, God, should we do it? He says, yep, I'm going to give them up to you. They come in. They do it. They set these guys free, get all their stuff back. Saul hears about it. He says, oh, this is actually God's will, part of God's plan. God is actually giving me David right now. Because Keilah has like wall, it's like walled, it's like a protective area. So he's basically saying, hey listen, this is perfect. All we have to do is just show up down there, the Bible says besieged, we're going to camp all on the outside of it, we'll cut everything off coming in and going out, and we'll just force them out. Perfect. So David says, Lord, Saul knows, is he really going to come after us? God says he is. And then he says, well, God, like even if he comes after us, is this town going to give us up? And he says, they will. And then he's on the run. It's interesting, right? It's interesting. Um, How many people like it when you overextend yourself and people don't reciprocate? You guys like that? You guys like that? You guys like helping somebody like move something all day long? You know, or like doing a huge favor at their house for them for something, or uh, maybe you, like, I don't know, you just overextend yourself, you know what I mean? And it's totally not reciprocated. In fact, there's like zero loyalty that remains because of it. That kind of shows what we're really all about, don't you think? Kind of shows what we're made of when we respond in those situations. 
That's interesting to me. The other thing that's interesting to me is that um, David continued to inquire of, ask, and talk to God. That was kind of his method, his way of handling these difficult situations. Right? We saw that happen two times for each, so that's a total of... Yeah, four. Good job. We got one person I can add. We are nice. Tell you what, two and two gives us four. We got it. So four times, right, in one passage, you're seeking the Lord, asking the Lord's heart on this thing. So I just want to bring out a couple of things, and then um, we're going to take communion and ask God to help us with some stuff. So here's one observation that I had. Uh, Like we just talked about, David's first move, it was a move of dependence. David's first move was a move of dependence. It's a move of reliance. If there's one necessary skill that Christians, people who say, call themselves Christians and Christ followers need to possess, and that's necessary and that's critical for growth and for fruitful lives, it's for a heart, it's for a life, it's for a mind that says, I'm completely dependent and reliant upon God's leading and on his voice. People who really have given their lives over to God and really are Christ followers, that's the way they think. That's the way they function. And, you know, we notice as we are in relationship with God, we, we are like growing. We're growing. Like when you first start off in your relationship with God, it's like you kind of just make decisions and you just do things and it, you probably don't even ask for any counsel at all from God or anything at all. You just kind of just do a pros and cons list and just kind of, you know, whatever wins out, whatever makes the most sense, and maybe ask some people about it too. And then what happens is like, you might take that pros and cons list and might say, God, I'd really like to do this. Here's my pros and cons list. Whatever you have to do, like, let's make that happen. So it's like you've included God, but you're really just getting him to agree with what you already want to do. And you're kind of on your way, but you're not quite there. Then maybe, you know, you make your pros and cons list, and you say, Lord, this is what it looks like. Um, I don't really know what to do. I'm not even sure what step to take. I don't even know what's right or wrong. But I'm just going to do this. And that's getting closer. It's definitely getting closer. And then there's like the next level where it's like maybe you make your list and you show some people your list and you ask about it and you say, Lord, I don't know. This is a significant decision right here. I'm not quite sure what to do. And God, I'm going to wait until I hear from you until I make my next move. And if I'm waiting for a little while, then I'm waiting for a little while but I feel like in this season, with this decision, it's too important for me just to jump in without confidently knowing that you've spoken to my heart. See, that's the place where we want to be. And that's the place where David was. You know what's very interesting to me? It's very interesting to me that David's men, all they could see, and I understand this, all David's men could see is who was hunting them down. Who was attacking them. Who they were hiding from. 
The only thing that David could see was a God who he belonged to and who covered him. Like, the only thing he wouldn't spend all of his time on is who was attacking him. Let me put it to you this way. Only in God's kingdom, only in God's people, can someone be being hunted, being treated unfairly, having the odds stacked against them. And only in God's people, and in their minds, are they thinking, you know what? I'm being hunted. I'm being trapped. They're coming after me. Only God's people, God's minds, do they then say, they look and they say, you know what? I can save them. You're being hunted and you're hiding so nothing happens to you. In the kingdom mind, they say, well, that might be true, but you know what? That needs to be done. We, I think we can do it. That's super interesting to me. That God's people, God's person at that time, his leader, is in hiding, trying to isolate themselves for all the right reasons. But David recognized the need that trumped. It trumped his need to hide. He's like, no, that's my people. He's like, I need to help them. They can't help themselves. I don't know what it's going to mean. They might come after me, whatever. But I need to go and do it. It's very common for God not to give us the next steps and just show us an opportunity like where we can just minister and help out and be involved, not knowing what's going to happen next. And that's very much like where David was. That's how he acted. Here's the other thing that's interesting about David. He didn't ask the Lord. He's like, God, you know what? Is this actually going to build my reputation or justify me if I go win this battle? Like, maybe if, God, you give us a victory here, you'll let everybody in the land know like, that we're good and that we're right. And, and, like, you'll, just, and you'll turn everybody against Saul so that way like, it won't be stacked against us. Like, you can turn the tables and we'll come after him. Do you understand that wasn't even on his radar? Wasn't even on his radar. So it's very intriguing to me. And I think like a very necessary thing for us to consider and look at is this heart of David that's just looking, um, that just has a heavy reliance and dependence upon his next move for what God wants to do. Because he realizes good intentions do not win battles. Good intentions do not win battles. His favor does. Good intentions don't get it done. His heart was hurting for his fellow clansmen, for the people that he was around. But he knew that, hey, listen, just because my heart hurts, and I think we can do this, like, I don't know if this is actually the wisest thing to do right now. So he asked the Lord. So that was one thing that I noticed, right? His first move is a dependence one. And nobody was putting a sword to David's head saying, do it. You know, he just felt it rise within him. He just had a heart of love and compassion. That's just where he was. Saying, hey, I think I can do it. 
something. I know we're being hunted. I know it'll expose us and make us vulnerable to who's coming after us. But you know what? I got to trust God with that. I also have to go do this. So first interesting thing is that his first move is a dependence one. Here's the second interesting thing. David never saved them because he was supremely focused on what he could get from them. He never saved them because he was supremely focused on what he could get in return, of what that could lead to for him. I mean, they just gave him up. I wonder if God, when he asked God and God said to him, you know, when uh, David asked God in the beginning, he said, hey, should I go in there and get him? What if David asked, hey, listen, if I go in there and get him and I save him, are they going to give me up later? And then God said, well, yeah, that's going to happen. I wonder what David's response would have been. Right? Because at the very beginning then, he could have known that he would have saved them and that they would have gave him up. I think he still would have done it, to be honest with you, because that was a non-issue for him. But a lot of times, for a lot of us, like it's kind of an issue. Well, I'm only going to show them love. Or I will only give them forgiveness. I will only really make myself vulnerable to. I will only really invest in somebody in my life. I will only really give over a situation and give over a relationship if I feel like they're going to reciprocate that in some way. Like if they're going to respond. I'll forgive them if they forgive me back. Sure. That's like, What? How is that the gospel? I'm only really going to love them in that you know, really just intensive way like if they're going to receive it. Because if not, you know, I'm not going to waste my time. Well, if God is leading your heart to love someone that way, you just got to do it. And guess what? If you're married, <laughs> those rights are out the window. You're called to no matter what. That's why marriage is such a significant covenant and vow. I don't have that with good friends in my life, but I do have it with Julie. And so, I very much appreciate David's purity of heart, how he gets in there and says, you know what? I don't care what's going to happen. I just got to do what I know that I got to do. And he goes in there after him and saves him. Here's what I also like about that same exact situation. Um, well, I'll come back to that part. I want to give you just one thought here. And I'm going to close up a little bit. So, God's perfect will. I think it'd be reasonable to read this passage and see what's going on, see all this communication with God back and forth. All this communication going on with God. Now, we read in verse 7 that it says that... We read this together. Uh, Verse 6. Now, Abiathar, son of Ahimelech, had brought the ephod down with him when he fled to David at Keilah. I think it'd be a good question for people to ask. Like, hey, how was was David communicating with God? How did he know what God was saying? You may have thought that when you read the passage. And if you didn't, well, now I put that thought into your head. I think that's good to ask. Like, how, how, that must be nice to just have God say, yes, no, do this. Yes, no, do that. Yes, I will give it. Like, I don't know. It seems like a very clear cut, nice way to hear from the Lord. The system that was set up in the Old Testament was that you would typically have a priest 
um, the ephod that he talked about, he'd wear like this thing. It's kind of like a big cloak and um, they'd have something on there called the Urim and the Thurim. And there's these stones on there. And, and basically, they would figure out God's will based on these stones. What color they would have. And, and um, you know, they would just use them in particular ways. And so however they used these stones, they would just dis- discern and know God's will. So it's very significant that even though that entire town got murdered, one of them escaped. One of the priests escaped. And he got to David. And he brought, he had an ephod with him. And he had the Urim and the Thurim. And he said, listen, we got one priest. He's like, is this God's one? He brought it to him. Now what we have is very different in the New Testament. What we have is we have Jesus Christ who has already come, lived, died, sent the Holy Spirit. And now we have a New Testament that says things like, ask anything in my name and I will do it. He says things like, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says things like, in all things, I work for the good for those that love me and are called according to his purposes. He says things like, ask Seek, knock, and the door will be opened. Whoever asks shall receive. Whoever seeks will find. Whoever knocks, the door will be opened. We have a very different way of communicating and interacting with our Heavenly Father. Are you with me? I think that, you're going to have to bear with me here. Everybody going to bear with me for a minute? Bear with me for a minute. I don't think I have all the right language for this yet, and I'm not going to pretend I have this all figured out, but I just want you to think about something, okay? Are you with me? Even if you totally disagree, that's completely fine. I'm just saying just think through it with me. When we're talking about God's will, is this God's will? Is this God's will? Is that God's will? Should I do this? In the Old Testament, you know, they, is this God, they would just go right to the priest. And then he would let them know one way or the other. Now that we have the Holy Spirit residing in all of us, we have the privilege of being in communication with our Heavenly Father. Privilege. It's amazing. We get to do that. And experience it. So, I think this issue of is it God's will, is it not God's will, you know, I, I think we might, there, with that comes an assumption that you might miss it. I'm not sure if that's a really good assumption to make. Now here's why. So the Bible says that every soul that sins must die. That's like strong language, okay? That's why Jesus Christ came. Every soul that sins, they should die. The Bible also says, Jesus encourages us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. So you have like every soul should die, judgment, just straight judgment. We all stand before our Creator, and if we're not in relationship, right relationship with Jesus Christ, we're going to hell. That's just what it is. 
That's why Jesus came to save. That's why his name means Savior. That was his mission, to save. And the only ones that save are the ones that respond. So that's bottom line. Then there is, Jesus says, hey, listen, make sure you include in your prayers on earth as it is in heaven. Well, that's some big language. On earth as it is in heaven? In heaven, God reigns supreme in everything. His word just, sickness is not there. There's no crying. There's no tears. It's just perfection. And so Jesus says, hey, listen, I want you to pray that way for that to happen. Uh, And we can all look around and we don't see that happening everywhere. It's not happening in my home in 24 hours. Right? So God, there's like this spectrum of God's will where certainly we should respond to Him so that we don't perish and we don't go to hell. Then there's this high level of really asking for His kingdom come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then there's this whole middle part. There's like that whole middle part. And it's like, what is that all about? Turn with me to Acts 12, okay? Acts 12. We're going to wrap up soon, I promise you. I just want you to think about this. Because I think it will help give us a little bit of confidence when we approach God. So we're in Acts 12, and I want to read something to you. I'm just going to read it to you. Don't turn there, but I'm going to read Acts 12 in a minute. So as soon as I, as I say God's will, some kind of Bible thumpers, and that really like their Bibles and they know it fairly well, they may have thought, oh, Romans 12, that talks about God's will. And that'd be kind of neat if that happened. If it didn't, it's okay. I'm going to read it to you. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Whew. The pastor's joke on there is, um, the problem with living sacrifices is that they can crawl off the altar. <laughs> it's like a joke, but it's like true. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Worship is defined as offering yourself as a living sacrifice. So like offering our bodies as a physical, that's crazy, right? That's worship. It's not just waving and singing. and It's like putting our body, like choosing to handle our bodies in such a way that would honor God. He calls that worship. He says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So transform and renewing your mind, right? You can start to understand God's will a little bit better. Start to understand His will a little bit better. So look at this in Acts 12. Uh, 
Um, it was about this time, verse 1, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left them. And Peter said to himself, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. So we'll just stop there. I read that to talk about this idea of God's will and his sovereignty. See, if David wasn't really quite secure in God's will and his sovereignty, the immediate response of Keilah was they gave him up. He could have like been like, you know what, maybe I heard wrong from God, because definitely if God told us to save them, they definitely would not have given us up like this. A lot of us approach life like that. We judge what we do by immediate results. And that's a very bad and dangerous place to be. They were in the middle of God's plan and of his sovereignty. And it was God's will for David and his men to risk their limbs, put their butts on the line, to save them, and for them to give them up. And God's infinite wisdom. And sometimes that's just got to be enough. I'm very glad that David, we don't have a psalm, psalm stops at 150. I'm glad we don't have like Psalm 151. God, destroy Keilah. They should have never done that. Judge them with bitter judgment. You know, he doesn't like do that. He's just like, man, it is what it is. Like, I can understand. Saul just took out an entire town. He'll probably do it again. And he wasn't killing them for it. We read in Acts 12, James, one of the twelve, he was beheaded and killed. And we just read that Peter, was he beheaded and killed? No. He got away. Right? He couldn't believe it. He's like, I'm having a vision. I don't even know. This is like so good. I can't even... So why does James die and why does Peter live? It was God's will for James to die? Tell you what, I have a very difficult time believing in a definition of sovereignty and God's will that means that God is the source of evil. I think we're very mistaken if we start to think that about God and about himself. Wrong events, wrong situations, they happen 
But tell you what, God is not the author of that, and nor is He the source. <clears throat> He's not the author nor the source. So then, what's the deal? The deal is that gap I was talking about. Something different happened with Peter. I mean, listen, we just read they were all praying. It's kind of interesting to me that in one instance, I think they were probably praying for James. I don't know if they were praying like they were for Peter. But Peter got away. We have an opportunity and a privilege. The Bible says, God says himself, I desire that no souls should perish. That everyone would receive eternal life. Does every single soul do that? Unfortunately, no. Jesus even said it. He said, listen, wide is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the gate and few enter it. So if God is like desiring for all people to be saved, and he wants his sons and daughters to be with him, why isn't it happening? Can I suggest to you that part of God's sovereignty and part of His will and plan, it, does, it very much includes a responsibility and ownership and a partnership from us. In other words, listen, God is God. He's going to do what He's going to do. Amen? There's something. He can just do whatever He wants, whenever He wants, however He wants. It's just, Jesus is coming back. I don't care how you vote or what you think about that situation. It's happening. It's already been decided. There's some other things, though, he has a desire towards and he'd like to see happen. But he needs a people that are going to gather, that are going to pray, that are going to partner with what he wants to do, and they're willing to labor and give of themselves and position themselves so what he already wants to do will be released. He doesn't call us to persevere in prayer because He needs that. God doesn't need our perseverance. Do you know who does? Yeah, I do. You do. We do. There's something in that nature of perseverance and seeking His heart that brings changes within us, that shapes our thought patterns, where the Spirit is surgically doing work inside of us. So we are able to enter into and receive what God already wants to do. I'll give you a hypothetical. Let's say, let's say Tabitha, right? Next week, she comes in. She starts praying for people. Sick people are made well by the hundreds. Literally almost every time. All the time. You know what's going to happen? Over time, like that, people are going to find out about that. People are going to post things places. Other people are going to hear about it. There's going to be very much attention drawn to her. People are going to be offering money. Hey, listen. I need you to come globally. I need you to come to Singapore to come pray for my aunt or whoever. Boom, boom, boom. All these things would happen, right? You're with me. It's very rare for a person to have their character be in such a place 
where they could handle that type of release on their life. Do you understand that? Do you think that God wants to utilize and heavily use us as resources from heaven? I'm telling you he does. I'm telling you he does. That's in his plan, it's in his heart, and he's better than we think. The unfortunate reality is that far too many people that call themselves Christians or Christ followers, they're not allowing the Spirit do the character work and develop that needs to be done so God can bring into their lives what he already wanted to put there anyways. He's saying, hey, listen, if I release that upon their life, it will crush them. So when it comes to God's will, he's looking for people to partner with him and seek him and persist with him to help bring heaven on earth. That's what he's looking for. Many are called, but the chosen are few. You know what the chosen ones say? They say, yes, Lord, I'm here. Let's do it. What are we doing? It's very simple. That's what the chosen ones say. They show up and they just engage and they get after it. So is it God's will? Is it not God's will? You know, here's really the issue. Really the issue is, God, is this the wisest thing right now? Like, is this the pace you're moving at? Or am I getting ahead of you here? I'll tell you what, he can stop you whenever he wants. If he lets some things roll out, I guess he's letting some things roll out and we just keep going and see where it ends up. Here's the good news. Even if he did it all wrong, even if he did it all wrong, you parented it all wrong, spent your money all wrong, just did stupid things, just did it wrong. The good news is, is that you know like on that GPS, you know, it just recalculates when you get to a new spot? It's kind of what he does. That's exactly what he does. It doesn't mean you won't have to maybe deal with some of like the consequences of like things that you've done, but it does mean that all those things are not beyond redemption. We good? <clears throat> all right. So here's one thing we can never do. What did I, what did I write down here? Here's where I think we make the mistake. I'm not going again for another 10 minutes. Don't, don't worry. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I just, I thought I had something here. Let me see. Um, I think the biggest mistake we can make is questioning the goodness of who God is. That's the biggest mistake we can make. It's just question his goodness in the situation with a group of people. So let's pass this stuff out, Rick. Thanks. Appreciate it. Michael, thank you.